Hey, good morning. Welcome to Kesset. I just want to say right away that, uh, that if the lights bugged you, we asked Thursday night service and they said you could handle it. So I just, I just want to make sure you know right away that we didn't just throw that out there. We asked a bunch of folks and they said you'd be fine. Um, every once in a while at Kesset, we just release, we have a lot of artists here, a lot of artists, a lot of creative people. And every once in a while, um, we just release them and they end up with, with lighting transitions and stage designs. And we have craftsmen that showed up and put a lot of time into, uh, the set and all that stuff. Yep. A bunch of them are here. And, uh, and, and so we don't do it every time if you're new. Uh, we don't do this sort of stuff every time, but, uh, but we're also not going to stop doing it. So hopefully, hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully you feel the Holy Spirit. If he's called you here, then, then, uh, you know, you'll be okay with it. And, uh, if not, there's just so many great churches in town that, <laughs> that, that don't put up with this kind of stuff. So, you know, you should consider checking it out. My name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors, and we are starting a brand new series today called The Work. And uh, the entire series is really about the church and who it's supposed to be outside of these walls, outside of this space right here Right now, this is what I'm going to call my uh, my soapbox series of the year because I am passionate about uh, encouraging people to realize that they are the hands and feet of Jesus, and it is beautiful to gather and and worship and learn and and support one another. But at the end of the day, the hands and feet of Jesus are supposed to be out in the world, and they're supposed to be out in our jobs and out in our neighborhoods and out in our homes. And so, this series is going to uh, take what some of you think is church and flip it on its head. Because I believe that's what the Bible is constantly teaching us. Uh, I have been in full-time vocational ministry for uh, 24 years now, if you can believe it. And uh, so I'm what's called a career pastor. This has been most of my job for most of the time I've, I've been working. And I can say that uh, depending on the room that I'm in, that, that word pastor uh, changes how people treat me. Sometimes for the better. Uh, which is just about as bothersome, I'll be honest, as when it is for the worse. Uh, people think of this office and any other office inside the church as different than the job they had or have. And I'm just here to tell you when it comes to actually implementing the gospel in the world, they're really not that different. Uh, there's some specific things I'm called to do, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're both called to do that, uh, that aren't just my job. And so we're going to talk about that inside this series. Uh, let me give you a statement that the series is going to kind of work around. This, uh, the work is a series about empowering people to embody the work of Jesus outside the walls of the church. And so that's it in a nutshell, and that's, uh, that's what we're going to do here for the, the next few weeks. And so I hope you're willing to be a part, because I think you have a really important role to play, more than just sitting in the seats and learning or worshiping. Uh, we're going to start, my basis for some of this is in the garden at the very beginning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start uh, in verse 7, read through 9, and then 15. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the garden, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. 
The most notable thing, first off, about this passage is that it all takes place before sin enters the world. God designs a system, a garden, and within that garden, he plants uh, the world and he places man within it. And man's job within that world is to cultivate. It's part of God's original design for us to work. The word cultivate in that verse 15 carries this idea of protection and care. So in essence, God placed all of man in creation to accomplish that goal. Work came before any sort of fall, any sort of sin, any sort of... Listen, you may hate your job, but you were actually designed to work as am I. Work is one of the things we are created for and to do. That's why there's no one that's not called to work a plot in the garden of the life he's been or she's been planted within. Within this kingdom perspective, I like this statement. As your life changes, the plot in the garden that you're tilling may change. So some of the work is seasonal, but no one is ever excluded from working their garden plot for the kingdom. You may have different duties or different jobs at different seasons in your life, but no one in the room is like, oh, that season's done. I no longer have to work my plot in the garden. I no longer have responsibility uh, to, to respond to the creator and the creation. I've done my time. And that means whether you're, you're in a retired season of life or you're a young person sitting in the room uh, just hoping you survive this year's high school experience. You have work to do, all of us and everyone. This kingdom perspective of work includes both of our current understandings of what it means to work. Two things that we often think of when we think of work. We think of vocation and we think of calling. Our vocation describes what you do to make money and or what you are responsible for. So this is the way that you, you produce. You produce care for a child because you're a stay-at-home dad. Or you, uh, you produce you know, uh, uh, cars that work because you work in an auto shop. Whatever you produce, that is your vocation. Now, that's different than our calling. Your calling is the customized life purpose God has ordained and equipped you to accomplish in order to bring him the greatest glory and achieve the maximum expansion of his kingdom. A divine calling is always intended to bring about God's glory and to fulfill his kingdom agenda. And yes, every single person in this room has a calling. We're going to talk about that inside this series. I think most of us grasp the idea of vocation. But when it comes to calling, sometimes it gets muddy because we think of calling as some very specific things within the Bible that, that God designed, some very specific offices usually within the church. And we're like, well, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to, to be a prophet. I'm not called to do this. So I guess I'm just called to be a church member who comes and listens and sings and maybe gives a little money. And I, I guess that's my, my purpose in the spiritual realm of this world, and I'm here to tell you, no, that's not true. There is so, so much more, but we have to listen to him and how it is he wants to use us within our plot within the garden. Now, along the way, we as humans did what we so often do and decided to categorize and then moralize uh, certain aspects of work over others, specifically church work, specifically even, even more detailed uh, the higher offices of church work. 
This is known as the sacred and secular divide. So this, this particular service is full of most of our uh, traditional church people. So I think this is going to hit you uh, like it hit me, a little different than the other rooms that are going to hear this message. But there is a culture, an underlying culture that we have uh, allowed within the church growth uh, over the, especially the past few centuries that have divided things from secular and sacred. The sacred-secular divide is a view of life built on a separation or distinction between those things, people and places someone believes to be sacred, holy and of God, and those believed to be secular, worldly, and not of God. Certain callings, for example, are holy, missionary, and pastor, and others are secular, i.e. of the world, and therefore unholy, business, medicine, construction, and so on. Certain places are also sacred as well with this kind of thinking. Church buildings, graveyards, seminaries, while others are secular. My house, your house, schools, and athletic stadiums. For instance, the church around the Middle Ages took a hold of this and built an entire society out of it. Their idea was our work of the church is the work, and your work, or everybody else, is just work. And then this rebellious Think for himself, guy came along named Martin Luther. Look at this guy. Look at the haircut that he decided to rock when he was out there. He's side-eyeing everybody because he's got some stuff to say. The following excerpt is from this man. He entitles it an open letter to the Christian nobility. So he leans in right away to who they think they already are, which is better than everybody else. And he's like, here's a letter to all of you nobles. I'm just going to read a small part of it. I think as church people, it's really important for us to understand. Also, let me say that although this letter is directed to the church in Rome, circa 1520 or so, its truth applies to any church at any time that advocates for a sacred, secular, vocational divide. Meaning pastors, teachers, preachers, prophets, worship leaders are different and better and have a higher calling than everybody else. He says, no, I don't think so. And he uses some really strong language that I'm going to point out here in just a second. I hope the young people in the room can handle it. Remember, you have to imagine him writing this letter side-eye with that really handsome hat on. He says, it is pure invention. It is pure invention, fiction, that Pope, bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and farmers are called the temporal estate. This is indeed a piece of deceit and hypocrisy, yet no one need to be intimidated by it. And for this reason, all Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them except that of office. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, that we are all one body, yet every member has its own work by which it serves the others. This is because we all have one baptism, one gospel, one faith, and are all Christians alike. For baptism, gospel, and faith alone make us spiritual and a Christian people. And then he gets personal. The pope or bishop anoints, shaves heads, ordains, consecrates, and prescribes garb different from that of the lady. But he can never make a man into a Christian or into a spiritual man by doing so. He might well make a man into a hypocrite or a humbug, use the H word, or a blockhead, use the B word. You don't call people blockheads unless you're ready to throw down back in this day. But never a Christian or a spiritual man. 
As far as that goes, we are all consecrated priests through baptism. As St. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood and a priestly realm. You are a royal priesthood and a priestly realm. Not just people on stage under lights. And that means you have a job to do. Because that means suddenly a bunch of verses in the Bible about the priests of God, about the saints of God. All of those verses apply more than just to the offices of the church. As Mike Baer said, I love this quote, kind of summarizing this letter. I know you might like the sentiment, but a candle lit in a church building is no more holy or special to God than a candle on my two-year-old grandson's birthday cake. And then under his breath, he was like, blockhead. People were like, oh, he just blockhead him? That's crazy. (laughs) Oh, it's so... So important. It's so, so important to realize in every way just what it is that God has called us to do. In reality, the work that God has called all of us into consists of both our vocations and our callings swirled together. This is the definition of work we're going to run through the entire series. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. And we are all called into that kind of work, whether we turn wrenches or change diapers. It's important. And we need to reevaluate and redefine how we see it. Work by that definition, the one I just gave you, which was Tim Keller's, work by this definition isn't just for those that have a job, but also relates to the students, the retired, the unemployed, the homemakers. It applies to all individuals. All still have a greater work to do and plot to tend. This work of the kingdom calls people up. It calls them out. It calls them to a place where they can be encouraged to merge their vocations with their callings, and to see where they are as the place that God has planted them. He placed and he planted you where you are right now. And there is work to be done. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you're supposed to be there forever. It doesn't mean that somehow that, 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 you know, in this place, that even if you're unemployed at the moment vocationally or you wish you just had a different career path or you're just dissatisfied with where you are, if you can approach the place that you are as a place that God planted you within, then maybe you can see what work needs to be done for you to get yourself to that next place he's calling you to. Paul talks a little bit about this in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to do 1 and 3. He says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So first off, everybody's got the calling. And you need to walk worthy of that calling. He says, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Skip down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles. Now we're going to talk about church offices, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And he gave them to the church, listen, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Who are the saints in this passage? You are. We often think because of the sacred-secular divide that the saints are the church offices. They're the 
preachers and pastors and popes and evangelists. They're the prophets and the the worship leaders. These are the saints, and we're just here to participate in the thing that the Holy Spirit creates through them. Humbug, I say, strongly. (laughs) Martin Luther's wearing on me, people. I know. But the reality is you are the saints. And I, as a teacher, have been given the gifts and calling I have, not so you can just absorb the the anointing that God has on my life, but so that you can learn and be equipped to unlock the anointing and do the work that God has given for your life. There is no difference between you and I. And I I say that with great uh, tenderness. Because the truth of it is, I think too many times people put people on pedestals instead of the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing. That's why at Kesed we've been working really, really hard to de-brand me and anybody else that's on this stage. But do you know what happened? Because brands are so common, I've shared this before. Then we became the church that's all about unbranding. I was like, ugh. So now I'm the guy without a brand, which is my brand. Just stop, right? It is not about this role at all. It is about us working within our world to accomplish the things that we are called to accomplish in the name of the one who gave it all. The word work that Paul uses when he says it there, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that word work is the word ergon. This is where we get our word ergonomic from. Ergonomics is a, uh, the definition is a holistic term that primarily refers to the overall process, listen carefully, and then apply it to the church, to the saints, to the offices, the process of arranging a workplace, systems, and equipment in a way that makes it easy for people to use them. So when Paul says work, here's what he's saying. All right, God has all these kids, right? And they all have different gifts and they all have different responsibilities. And our job is to get in a room and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, figure out how to smoothly organize the outworking of God's will within his kingdom. And not just so that we can be more comfortable, not just so that some of us can be lifted a little higher than others. No, it's so that the entire thing works in such a way that people outside of it can look in and easily find their way comfortably to Christ. Because they walk in and they're like, wow, these people are uniquely humble. Wow, these people are uniquely serving. Wow, I just feel loved here. I just feel accepted here. And all of a sudden, somebody somewhere, probably not a pastor in a perfect world, says, I can tell because I'm feeling a leading because I'm called to be an usher and I'm called to look for people God wants me to pray over and speak to. And you see that person, and you go up, and you're like, hey, I feel like I'm just supposed to sit with you or take you to coffee or or hang out with you. And this person smoothly goes, yeah, I want to do that. And suddenly there's a relationship, and then there's connection, and then there's community. And all you know, all of a sudden, is that that person is part of the kingdom being smoothly and and perfectly uh, placed within the garden of Kesset or any other local church so that they can play a role that no one else could play until they got there. And the church expands and the growth happens and the depth happens and the artists come and the, the pragmatic people come and we have this mix of multi-generations where we have too many babies and too much bass and everybody's wanting to complain but they also know that that's not really what it's about. <clears throat> It got a tiny bit personal just for a second, didn't it? You were with me till it became about you. You were like, go, go. That's, no, I don't need that. 
<clears throat> I felt the room change. I could feel it. The only thing that everybody's going to get at Kesed is not enough of what they want. I just want you to know that right away. Because it's not about you. And it's not being arranged for you or me. The work that we're doing is being coordinate, coordinated and orchestrated and organized by the one who gave it all and designs it all. And our job is to till the plot of land we have been asked to till. And it's going to be beautiful and difficult. And it's going to be work to do the work. But this is the hope. This is what Paul is talking about. He's speaking to how God uses his workers and their works and how he coordinates and arranges them for his kingdom. And this applies to all the work, seen and unseen, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, this means all things, whether in word or deed, deed is that word ergon as well, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Every single thing you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. And play and till and worship your way into the space that he's called you to. We are each called, John Mark Comer said, to use our vocations as an opportunity to further our callings, to build up the body of Christ, to make the invisible God visible. That's our job at the end of the day. It's not to preach or turn wrenches or, or raise children. At the end of the day, our job is to make the invisible God visible. That's the ultimate goal of what it means to be part of his kingdom. And we do that through raising children well, through turning wrenches well, through serving well one another. To hold work this way is to live in the garden as a fellow tiller of the ground. It is no accident that the ultimate biblical picture of work, by the way, the way this whole thing wraps up, let me just say this, the way this whole thing kind of culminates is, is inside a city. I don't know if you realize that. It starts off in a garden, but it all ends up inside a city. Revelations 12, 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A city like that reflects human culture in its most developed and complex forms. Really think about it. God's purpose for humanity started in a garden, but it culminates in a great cultural center built by work. This is how we are to express and live out the lives that we have. Bob Toon said about this that God expected Adam and Eve to split the atom. He didn't just intend for them to have babies and plant trees. They were meant to exercise dominion over all creation, turning the entire earth into a showcase of the glory and beauty and majesty of God, and then working it and caring for it for all of eternity. And so work was God's design from the beginning. And the ultimate goal was for every aspect of life and culture to be saturated with the beauty and glory and love of the Father. I think that for many of us, we are living lives that are dissatisfied, discontent. We look at our story and where we are and what we've come out of, and, and we feel maybe like we've accomplished quite a bit. We've broken a lot of the legacies that came before us or we're in the process of breaking those legacies. 
But when we really just sit with ourselves beneath a, a, a starry night, there's just this level of, is this it? Is this what I was meant to be and meant to do? And I think that has far less to do with what you get up in the morning and actually go to work to accomplish and much more to do with how you see yourself in the garden, how you see yourself in the story, how you see yourself in in the eyes of the people that God has placed you and planted you next to. Because if you knew what God wanted to accomplish through you, you would wake up every single day striving to, to till the ground just a little bit deeper, to pave the, the walkway just a little bit smoother, to trim the hedges just a little bit cleaner, knowing that what you're doing is creating a space for someone else to find their way to Jesus through the garden of your life that you have planted. This is why your stories are so important. This is why the goal of every person in this room shouldn't be to erase their story, to to not include the ugly things, but to actually include those things. That's like when you show up to a house with a beautiful garden that someone's remodeled and they pull out pictures and they're like, this is what it used to look like. You're like, what? We have forgotten that as Christians. We have forgotten to tell people, this is what I used to look like. This is what my marriage was like. This is what my heart was like. These are the things that gripped my mind. And now this is what God has done with these hands. With this heart, God has built something beautiful and he can do the same thing for you. But there's not enough people in a room like this who actually think their lives are beautiful in the first place. And half the time they're just shutting the gate with a sign on it that says, not ready. I can't host anybody else in my life. I can't take anybody else in my story because I got a lot of weeds back here and I got a pump house that's still broken. (laughs) I mean, we haven't had water in our garden for decades. But what you don't realize is that there are other hands and feet, if you're willing, that want to come alongside you as well. But they have to be a part and they have to be invited into the garden of your life and work has to be done. So yes, may I just say it, some of you in order to actually be a part and do the work, you gotta start by doing some other work, some internal work, some reflection, some, some meditation, some of the stuff from the series we did earlier, some journaling, some time alone, some space with God to ask God, what do you wanna do inside this world right here? Because I feel like I need to invite others into it as well. Ask him, spend time with him. Let him hold you and see just what it is that he wants to do. Because he is the great owner of the vineyard at the end of the day. It's all his. So why don't we decide to steward it together without shame, letting each other in through our gates, into our worlds, into our hearts to experience the kingdom that God wants to build in this world. It's gonna be a great series. I think this particular service has a lot to offer the other services and the neighbors around our building because you guys have years and years of skill. I just think we have to take some time to turn up the vulnerability just a little bit, which is gonna take some work. So 
Uh, each message will be custom to each service, as they usually are. Um, so if you think you're going to escape me by going to another service, it's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit will just follow you there. We are very excited about what God's doing in our church. Our community needs this. There's people sitting in homes around this building right now that need this. So my hope is that you come, serve, and participate. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for people in this room that you are awakening right now. People who never thought they could play the role that you are challenging them to play right now. Thank you for people in this room that are remembering why it is they came to you in the first place. People who are being reminded that their time and season is not even close to over. People who have never considered God participating in this, uh, in this creation story for the first time are wondering, maybe I have a role here. All of these things and everything in between, Lord, we commit to you. We lift to you. For you are the one who organizes it all. We are willing to do the work, Lord. So here we are. Send us. We love you. We praise you for what it is you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all, and uh, I'll see you next week.